Welcome to the World of Horror Podcast, episode 96. I'm Mom. And I'm Mac. This is the podcast where we share our love of international horror. Fear is universal, but we are not afraid of subtitles. Was This week, Mac's genre pick is movies about nuclear holocaust. We reviewed The Day After from the U.S. and Threads from the U.K., Before we get into it, fair warning, these discussions will include spoilers and language which may not be suitable for all listeners. Let's move on to our first segment, Mom and Mac Chat. Hi, Mac. How is 2023 going? Oh, um, well, so far... I did get very sick over the weekend, and that was not fun, but that always seems to happen to me during this time of year. Like, without fail, I get sick. Yeah, and I also got sick, Um, but you got, like, super sick, because it seems like you had a stomach bug and a head bug at the same time. I I don't know why, um, what I did, or, like... I also don't ever leave my house. So whenever stuff like that happens, I'm just like, come on. <laughs> what what was it? Um, well, I'm exposed to a lot of people and we just started back to school. So it wasn't a big surprise. Yeah. That I got sick. Teachers and- should get hazard pay. I mean, I'm glad I was telling somebody the other day, I'm glad I don't work with little, little kids because that's like a whole nother level. But you're going to um, get sick. Yeah, for sure you are. I mean, like in January and August, like for sure you are. Yeah. But mine wasn't too bad. I mean, it's just never great. And then it just sort of takes you out of the game for a little bit. So here we are on the 26th of January recording our first episode. You want to just get into it? Sure. So I thought this was an interesting pick, Mac. And I know you had said that you had seen Threads. And to me, these two movies are kind of like a rough draft and a final draft. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like They did come out one year after another. And uh, Mick Jackson, the director of the second movie, the Superior movie, I guess, was a little dismayed to learn that there was another one, you know, that was in the works. But then when he saw it, he's like, oh, no, I can completely go ahead and make my movie. Yeah, they're like worlds. Like, it, it is interesting that I do think they're very good as like a comparison because they're both trying to do the same thing, but they're worlds apart. And I just rewatched the day after because we were planning to do this a few weeks ago and then everything happened. So I wanted to refresh myself. And it's not, it's not terrible. It's not good for sure. No, I It's so interesting because I watched it on YouTube and if you look in the comments, there's all these people like who I'm sure this was a formative movie for them. Like if it was, you know, airing when you were a kid in America and that's, you only have access to that and not threads. All these people were like, oh my gosh, like they should show this in schools and like this should be required viewing for everyone. And I just want to be like, listen. I get what you're saying, but not this one. Threads, yes. Not this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was. So uh, it came out in 83, I believe. And I was, so that would have made me 14. 
And oh, you had to watch it? I didn't have to watch it. No, but it was a big, oh. it was a big deal at the time. It showed on television and, you know, I mean, it's hard for you, I'm sure to, not just you, <laughs> I'm sure it's just hard you. for people today <laughs> to understand that we only had three, maybe four networks. And yeah. so when there was an, when there was a show like this, it was an event and, and they got a lot of viewers on this because because uh, there wasn't else, nothing else going on, and it just made it did make a huge impact. But then, and I don't even know how I found out about Threads, but I did see it at the time. I uh, yeah, that one just really shook me. It's kind of like in I think eighty seven. I'm gonna say, but I might be wrong on that. I had seen Full Metal Jacket, which is a movie about Vietnam. And then I saw Platoon and I was like, oh. I mean, Platoon's fine. But to me, Full Metal Jacket is a far superior movie. And so this was kind of like that, too. Like they came out relatively in the same time period. But really, I think I think the makers of Threads really nailed it. I think Brits in general... But just based off of I, I, this is a genre I really like of like trying to capture realism, but in kind of like a documentary way. And I feel like British movies do it so well. Like maybe it's just that they've got the whole like BBC reporting thing down, mm. and that's how it like comes across. And maybe it's because they're British. I don't know. Maybe if you just have an announcer, or there was no announcer, but like, do you know what I mean? It's just it felt like. Like there are people who who were casually mean, you know, like imperfect people. It, it, it felt like you were looking at like a real set of people. Whereas I feel like in American things, there's heroes, mm. p- pure, perfect people, and then evil people. And that's it. And I feel like Threads just seemed like a more realistic, holistic view. I don't know. The day after was so cheesy to me. Yeah, in I think, so many ways. I think cheesy. the ending. <laughs> I <laughs> I watched them. <laughs> I, I saw the ending today. I watched half of it last night and half of it today. And that the ending was like, okay, I see what you're going for, but wow, this you is swinging a huge miss. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're basically you know they're concerning the same thing. The treatment is con- totally different though, because with the day after, we are only we spend an hour getting to know all of our characters and there are a lot of characters like a lot. And then the missiles go off, the war happens, whatever. And then we get, I don't know, maybe up to a month after, would you say Mm -hmm. not a very long time after the blast. Mm -hmm. Whereas in threads we go, it's a whole 13 year span, which I thought was so effective. So so haunting. Uh, so the, the the brief synopsis of the day after is the effects of a devastating nuclear holocaust on small town residents of eastern Kansas. It was written by Edward Hume and directed by Nicholas Meyer, and it's really Jason Robards' movie. There are a lot of other actors, but it's really his like showpiece, and um, it also features Joe Beth Williams, Steve Gutenberg. John Cullum has a pretty big role. He's the farmer man, John, mm. uh, Johnny Gogo, and Amy Madigan as the pregnant mother. 
Cinematography was by Gain Rescher, and the release date was November 20th, 1983 on ABC. It has a running time of 126 motherfucking minutes. You will feel every minute. Oh, you will. <laughs> I also watched Can you imagine this with commercials? Well, you can. You, you did it, but I cannot. Oh, I think there was something in the trivia about that. I'm not sure if there were commercials. I don't think there were oh. commercials after the blast is what oh. I think they did. Yeah. That's crazy. Whatever. So, okay. I mean, one of the, so mostly it features this Dr. Oaks and he's an old sweet doctor man. And there were a couple of scenes. I like the scene in the beginning with his wife where they're remembering the Cuban missile crisis and they got through that. So they'll get through this too. And nothing happened then. So nothing is going to happen now. Those sort of fateful words um but i liked the chemistry between between the actors they did seem like a married couple and mm-hmm. like they really love each other a whole bunch um there was a sort of a cheesy moment kind of memorable to me with the other married couple where as the bombs are going off or just about to she is concerned with making the bed and mm-hmm. um he has to carry her screaming down into the cellar Okay, there's that is like a scene that sometimes you find peppered into things written by men, and I'm just like, how hysterical do you think women are? Like, <laughs> she's like, ah, like she's like like losing, losing it. it. Like, like excuse, like if we're talking about a family unit, what is this lie that it's always like only the men holding everything together? Like, excuse you, like. We all know women are running the show. And right? also like, contrast that with the women in Threads where there is a similar scene where Ruth and Jenny are removing wallpaper from the wall mm-hmm. and she cries quietly in the corner and he reaches out to her and he's like, hey, hey. And that's a, just a more human and honest depiction of, of a couple. Yeah. And she's like crying. It's like, you know, one of those moments where she's frustrated and crying at that, but it's it's not at that. It's at the whole world. Whereas this woman is making the bed while <laughs> a bomb goes off. All of the female characters in the day after can just fuck they're right so, off. They're so dumb. Yeah, they're real <laughs> like dumb. They're, they have no brain cells. I mean, I know it was eighty three, but I mean, still, that's just frustrating. Like, no. You didn't have any woman proofread it. No, <laughs> like, for sure you didn't. Uh, so we've got these two families, Jason Robard's family and John Cullum's family. Then you also have Airmen. It's kind of, yeah, I hadn't thought about this, but it's like all the all the units are kind of written in reference to the man. Yeah. You know? Only. So there's Airman First Class Billy McCoy. So he's our mm-hmm. token black character. And he goes through it. <laughs> he gets radiation poisoning and goes crazy and, and dies. Well, oh, we have Johnny Gogo. He is uh, a professor, a young, little fresh face. Uh, Johnny Gogo. I remembered. I remember now you saying he was in it, but while watching it, I did not recognize him. No, yeah. Um, yeah. He he had uh, he had a good time in the eighties. So there was the world according to Garp where he played a trans woman and there was, Oh gosh, what was the name of that movie? 
I don't remember that. It was a really big tearjerker movie where the daughter dies of cancer. And anyway, I can't remember it now. I'll put it in the notes. And then he also was, of course, the preacher in Footloose. So, Mm. you know, he sort of had a run there in the 80s. But yeah, I had forgotten that he was in this too. But he has that fateful line that I looked it up on Snopes and it's unproven. But apparently, according to this script, Einstein had said he wasn't sure how World War III would be fought, but World War IV would be fought Uh, with sticks and stones. mm -hmm. So uh, let's see. I mean... I don't know. What else do you want to say about this movie? <laughs> I want to like talk more shit about it. <laughs> like, how, how about when that one daughter like freaks out? She can't, she's own, she's been in the, they've been in the cellar for five days. Yeah. And she's, well, I will say interestingly, like Ruth also freaks out in the cellar, but True. like, again, I, I empathized. I, I understood kind of like the impulse you're already so stressed out from being pregnant and away from your, you know, your guy. And I could see going back into like a childlike, you know, state of like, you know, I can't, I can't. And also like, I can't wipe my Nana's ass, you know, like I just, I can't deal with all of this. You know, I could see myself doing like shutting down in a similar way. Not like this girl who's like, I'm going to get, you know again hysterical hysterical yeah so she runs out into the field um and there's all like this, the dumb bitch she is <laughs> there's all this radiation like like dust on the yeah. ground and it just to me it looked like flour or you know something but the way that they did the radiation in this was so not scary to me whereas in threads it's terrifying like in this one it was such a like everybody was like, no, don't go outside. Like it, it just did not feel, it seemed like this nebulous thing of like, then you'll go crazy, like from experiencing it. Like, and the way that they depicted that was so bizarre and it, it felt so since it didn't seem realistic, it wasn't scary to me. Cause the only thing this kind of movie has, it should be the realism that that's what should be freaking you out. But she's also running through these fields of uh, the corpses of all these farm animals. Mm-hmm. And Steve Gutenberg, she's like, see, the sun's out. It's a beautiful day. Everything's fine. And he's like, even though you can't smell it and even <laughs> though you can't see it. And his acting is horrible, too. But um, he basically has to manhandle her back into the cellar. And um, so that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I oh, there's this whole section with Billy McCoy when he meets the mute man. Yes, that was bizarre. Under a a blanket, um, walking together, eating uh, baby Ruth candy bars together, and um, you have the little boy Danny who goes blind from looking at the flash. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just never going to see again. And But he's oh, wise boy. beyond his years because he knows that the Asian doctor is an Italian. He's Asian. And <laughs> I like why? I don't understand. It's so dumb. <laughs> and also, like, of course, yeah, people died in it. 
Oh, also talk about them special effects. Like, I know that it's a TV movie, but <laughs> it was just like I. It just looked so stupid to me. You mean when they when they the, the flash came? Yes, when it just was like boop skeleton dead. Like there, it felt like there wasn't even an attempt. <laughs> right, it's so much more effective in the Threads movie, and it was only a year later. And yeah, and it didn't seem like they had a huge budget no, either. No. Yeah. <laughs> there's also, of course, because it's the U.S., there's this um, speech we hear from the president who announces a ceasefire with the Soviets, and he says that, you know, we will rebuild, and we're a country of liberty and democracy. And as he's this voiceover is happening in the background, we see everybody sort of, uh, you know, without hope, just sort of looking haggard and um, hospital staff piling up the dead and treating the living by candlelight. And, you know, it, it's just, I mean, I know what they were trying to do with that, with layering his voiceover on top of those scenes, but boy, it was just like flat. Like it just was yes. like not. And it, at the end, they even like reference like, oh, this, it probably would be even worse than this. And in my head, I was like, yeah, because this honestly, it seemed bad, but it seemed more like a natural disaster. Like, it felt like a movie you could have made. I mean, obviously, without the, you know, part where people were vaporized, but the aftermath part was totally just like, what if the government didn't get to you? And all the resources were gone. That that's all that yeah. it felt like, and it's yeah. kind of, that is scary. But um, it's not really what I think of when I think of the horrors of nuclear war. <laughs> I mean, it it is really male and patriarchal and capitalistic because we have both men, the the patriarchs of these two families, so returning to their homes. And when John Cullum returns to his home, he's actually shot. By squatters, mm-hmm. and um, again, e- there's evil people. Then there's the he- like the hero guys. But, but yes, but then we have Jason Robards at the end. He goes back mm-hmm. and he's like, "Get out of my house!" There's no house. It's yeah. just the site of his house. And one of the people there offers him some food, and he collapses onto his knees. And then another man comes up to him and they put their heads together and they bow their heads together. And that's the end of that movie. And that, that whole set, it kind of reminded me of like the set of Jesus Christ superstar. Oh really? (laughs) Oh, I haven't seen that in so long. It looks like the rocks crumbling and everything. Mm. It, it just, it looks the same. It doesn't, you don't look at that and think, I'm looking at a burnt building. Again, not in the same way Threads looks like, yeah, that looks like a town that's been destroyed, you know? <laughs> yeah, it did sort of seem like a play in a lot of yes. ways. And yeah. At the end, we have the disclaimer, the catastrophic events you have just witnessed are, in all likelihood less severe than the destruction that would actually occur in the event of a full nuclear strike against the United States. It is hoped 
that the images of this film will inspire the nations of this earth, their peoples and leaders, to find the means to avert the fateful day. (laughs) So I wanted to talk about what phobia is that? (laughs) So ballistrophobia is the fear of missiles or bullets. I think I have that. And fundophobia is a fear of farms. <laughs> I guess some people got it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they are disgusting. So. Yeah, I, I've i never been attracted to living on a farm or. Yeah, it, vis- it's truly the one of the I mean, anybody who's making food, we owe society to you. At the same time, seems like hell to me. Your life is just work. And I am lazy. (laughs) I'm I'm too soft for that. I like following people on TikTok. Like there's this guy who um, I think is handle something like the goat daddy or something. And he's a young guy. But, you know, Mm -hmm. he he just shows like, you know, giving giving milk to the goats. And I don't know. And I, I just love all those people who have sanctuaries and stuff. And I, yeah. I, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I did visit a lot of farms when I was a kid. And I, but I always think of the time <laughs> in high school where our field trip was to go to this uh, place where they, <laughs> they, <laughs> they impregnated cows. <laughs> and we had to wear these like rubber boots on our feet because of all the bull. Why did they take you there? I don't know. It was disgusting. And I I saw things that I wish I had. All right. What were you supposed to learn? I don't know. You know, it was probably like some teacher was like, they're saying that, you know, we need to have a full curriculum and, you know, enrichment (laughs) activities. And and this farm, or not a farm, but it's like a, a, yeah, place where they... It's a, place. <laughs> it's a place where they make more cows. It's that's you, a really good way to put it. Well, okay, what do you call that when you make animals make other animals? Impregnate? <laughs> well, yes, but it's a well. There's a term husbandry. For it. Yes, animal husbandry. Ah. It was like a, a husbandry operation. <laughs> okay, let's it's get such to- a, it's a neat little way to put. And I guess they can't say, guys, we're taking you to the impregnation farm. <laughs> Get your permission slips. <laughs> no doubt. This is weird. Um, and I think I got a pretty good education, but that was weird. And I don't, I don't know what was going on with that. But this film originally aired, as I said, November 20th, 1983. It remains the most watched TV movie in U.S. history. Estimates wow. with a viewership at over 100 million Americans with a Nielsen share of 62%. So it was a very watched show. I, I want to know the other 38%. What were they watching? <laughs> <laughs> what, what thing that they were like, eh, I'm not watching that. <laughs> And so one thing about this one is they left it sort of ambiguous, like who, who struck first. Please. (laughs) (laughs) 
after the film's broadcast, a special news program featured a live discussion between Dr. Carl Sagan, who opposed the use of nuclear weapons, and conservative writer William F. Buckley, who supported the concept of, quote, nuclear deterrence. Oh, God. During this heated discussion, aired live, Dr. Sagan introduced the concept of, quote, nuclear winter and made his famous analogy, quote, imagine a room awash in gasoline, and there are two implacable enemies in that room. One of them has 9,000 matches, the other 7,000 matches. Each of them is concerned about who's ahead, who's stronger. And I had a false memory of this. Somehow I thought I was younger when I saw it. But I, I do remember a teacher, you know, like the week this aired, saying that he thought it was good that this sort of thing was being shown because it showed the concept of mutually assured destruction. And he had hope that there would never be a nuclear war because of that. I mean, dear God, I hope, I hope so too. (laughs) Two weeks before the movie aired, Mr. Rogers neighborhood aired a week of episodes titled quote conflict that dealt with war and nuclear bombs. Many believed it was a direct response to the movie, but it was just coincidence. The episodes were written and produced at least a year before the movie aired. This is incredible. Like three, like, like the mood and the, you know, everybody just must've been thinking about this so much. That's amazing. That three separate, you know, places were like, yeah, this is, let's make a movie or special about this. Well, I sent you that uh, Ronald Reagan commercial. Yes. There's a bear in the woods. That was uh, very famous. So spooky. I mean, and the propaganda, you can see how effective it was on some people. The idea is that there's this bear in the woods and this, and the, the text is something like some people don't believe there is a bear in the woods, but what if there is, you know, <laughs> like we, we have to like be prepared to fight the bear. And I remember so... that same teacher saying, why don't we just talk to the bear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we? <laughs> yeah. So. Stuff. It's, it's interesting. Like, throughout um if you could track throughout at least i guess recent human history what the main apocalyptic or i guess like related to war kind of fears that the populace had you know um because i mean obviously after 9-11 like when i was a kid just the idea of like it was like always kind of present in my mind because again, the propaganda around nine 11 still is so fucking persistent and large to this day. And so at the time as a kid, I was like utterly terrified at the idea. And I didn't even like, I didn't even have the same experience of like witnessing it happen. Like I completely was removed from all that. And yet it still was like, a very largely present fear in my head. And then of course with like, well, this isn't related to war, but obviously like gun violence now is such a big thing that is kind of always present in my head too, of being scared of. Yeah. 
It's I I somebody had a tweet the other day. I think it was Graham Elwood had a tweet that on the 23rd of January there had been 33 mass shootings this year. Uh, Jesus. And, um, yeah, and he and the last line of his tweet was something like "None of us are safe." And uh, yeah, it's um it's not great. Um, the FX show, the Americans depicted the spy family watching the film with their FBI neighbor. And, uh, I, the guy in that show, the, the Americans. I, yes. I, the husband, yeah. we saw him in a play. I know. And I didn't even know who he was. And you were like, you, you knew who he was. Um, yeah. I'm a soap opera. We saw him in an off Broadway play once. He was really good. He was really good. <laughs> Oh, well, one thing I wanted to say is this last piece of trivia. Jason Robards Jr. appeared in another post-apocalyptic science fiction film, A Boy and His Dog from 1975, which I had seen and totally forgot. And so I watched it again. And um, it's a totally different take. It's based on some short stories by the science fiction writer Harlan Ellison, who I was deeply into in middle and high school. Uh, It's good. It's real um, it's good. It features Don Johnson, who mm-hmm. uh, plays an 18-year-old. I don't know how old he was, but um, kind of cool just to see these actors, you know, as really young people. What does Letterboxd have to say about it? Great Carmine gave it a half star. My mom used to rent this frequently when I was a kid, <laughs> and I always found it incredibly boring. Why would I want to know what's mom going is on out in there that like, family? <laughs> sweetie. <laughs> Can you put the tape in the VCR again? We went to Blockbuster. <laughs> hmm. Mom's getting the day after again. Oh, Mom. <laughs> again. <laughs> Carrie Zander gave it uh, one and a half stars. Even though Threads came out a year after this movie, the day after is like a really bad American interpretation of Threads. I agree. (laughs) But Hannah Blazingame gave it five stars. Watch this movie as a kid. Messed me up for sure. Thumbs up emoji. Featured in my trauma dreams. (laughs) Ash falling like snow. (laughs) And Anaya gave it five stars. Yes, I totally watched this because I found out it. I found out about it through the Americans' best television show that ever was. <laughs> Believe the hype. This movie is exactly as devastating and harrowing oh as it ought to be. It's the proper sequel to Fail Safe. And for someone who is fairly stoic when it comes to horrific imagery, I had immediate and totally involuntary tears in my eyes when the thing happened. I feel like this should be necessary viewing for all of us in this day and age. All of us. I can't imagine crying. (laughs) I'm trying to discount this person, but I was, my reaction was, Oh brother. (laughs) Like I get stepping into the day after I was like, Ooh, I know this is going to be a rough one. (laughs) And it was. This is what the YouTube comments were like. They were so like solemn and like, like re- reverent. <laughs> yeah. Rose gave it five stars. My fixation on nuclear war media should probably be given a special mention in the DSM six. 
I understand this because I don't think um, it's not coincidental that while we were, like, while I was, well, after I watched Threads, I got my mind, or last year after I watched Threads, I got kind of fixated a little bit, not on actually, like, researching stuff about nuclear war, but just thinking about it. And there is a series of games called Fallout, which is... You've heard, yeah. I've even heard of them, yeah. It's a series of open world games made by Bethesda um, that takes place post-nuclear apocalypse 200 years in the future. And I started playing Fallout 4. And I mean, it's widely, like, completely fantasy, like nothing in the realm. But still the idea of, like, a completely just leveled like landscape because the the thing that they do really well is these beautiful like realistic landscapes with just like buildings you know flattened into the ground and just that imagery is just so scary to me and i mean they did they did have some of that in this movie but i actually wanted to before we move on to threads i wanted to mention another movie that i watched i watched a bunch of these movies and one that I guess I had never heard of was called Testament. And it is involving a a, a suburban community outside of San Francisco. And so we have the husband going to work, you know, in the big city and the mom is left home with the kids. And then this blast hits San Francisco and it's much better than the day after. One of the things that I guess I hadn't realized is that all the kids would die. Oh God. And that's at least what this movie Testament said. Cause she, I think she had three kids and then just like one by one they oh. die and she has to bury her kids. And it's just um, such a horrible thing. And the old people too. So you're sort of left with, mm-hmm. I guess the healthiest people in their twenties and thirties when it's all over. Um, and I hadn't thought of that, but I, because a lot of these other movies d- don't portray that, but yeah, all the kids would die. And it, I think Threads did. They mm-hmm. mentioned that the the very young and the very old would all die. Well, do you want to get into it, or do yes. you wanna, do you want to rate it? Do you want to? We don't. Oh, um, in what should we rate it in terms of? What's the I most think of something funny, but I just no blanks. <laughs> the most memorable image oh my god and how about that makeup at the end with steve Goldberg and the bald cap and how about bald patches okay let's let's rate it in bald patches oh one (laughs) oh you're not even going to two the radiation didn't hit me that hard i only got one bald patch (laughs) (laughs) i'll give it a two but it's not good y'all it's i think it's probably significant that i have no no nostalgia. I'm seeing it completely out yeah. of like the cultural context. But I mean, we um, have. So, there's no reason. I mean, if you're if you're in your 50s like me and you want to go back and like see how you feel about it today versus how you felt about it at the time, yeah, go for it. But I mean, if if you're not in your 50s, I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I mean, really, honestly, Mac. Like, I mean, can you find anything to recommend this? Like. It's not like the no. cinematography is inventive or the acting's really off the charts. It's just schlock. I think you you made a good point that this does feel like 
in a way the the rough draft. So it's like, why would you? There's nothing of note, and <laughs> there's nothing in this movie that like <laughs> that. You're right that I would even show as like a YouTube clip. I can't even say that. Just like just watch Threads. Just don't. <laughs> Yeah. Forget this ever existed. Life is short, y'all. I mean, and why do you want to bother <laughs> with bad art? I don't. Two hours long. <laughs> if if it were not for the pod, I would have shut it off. It's one of those movies that right. I would have been like, all right, this is a waste of time. And if I had thought more about it, um, I mean, it's just the one that came immediately to mind when you said No, threads. I think it's a good, I think it's a really good contrast with threats. Like, for the purposes of our pod, too, of like, wow, if there ever was a bad American version of something <laughs> not American, this is a great example. <laughs> All right. So I'm- with that being said, um, <laughs> let's get into threads. I first only watched Threads because I was scrolling through Shutter, and then just the 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 poster just jumped out at me, and I was interested, and then just sat there, and I was only kind of interested in watching maybe like a schlocky horror thing while drawing something, and then I just was so invested, and then did feel sick at the end, but in a good way, <laughs> in a way that I was like, this is satisfying. Um, so here's the brief plot summary. The effects of a nuclear holocaust on the working class city of Sheffield, England, and the eventual long-term effects of nuclear war on civilization. It was written by Barry Hines, directed by Mick Jackson, stars Paul Vaughn as the narrator, Karen Meager as Ruth Beckett, Reese Dinsdale as Jimmy Kemp, David Brierly as Mr. Bill Kemp, Rita May as Mrs. Rita Kemp, Nicholas Lane as Michael Kemp, and Jane Hazelgrove as Allison Kemp. Cinematography by Andrew Dunn and Paul Morris, and has a runtime of 112 minutes, but I, I think that's good. And covers, like, a, you know, a much larger yeah, time Yeah, a huge amount of time. <laughs> Mom watched it on Canopy, and I watched it on my beloved Tubi. Well, and Shudder. Oh, and I guess I should say that movie is presented really as, like, Again, not a documentary because there's no crew, but it's just very kind of like the Andromeda strain. It just really is like, what if this happened? There you go. And you have this narration and like before every segment, I guess, you have like the the clickety-clack of like a typewriter um, Mm -hmm. filling up the screen with like stats or and they tell you like what Sheffield is like known for, like what it exports. And then it talks about like how much radiation has hit Sheffield and how many have died. And so you get these sort of cards in between the the various segments of the movie. Yeah. It's a good way to give like in immediate, like data and Mm -hmm. context on what has happened and like what these are the effects of, and then shows you our characters experiencing them is really effective. So before everything starts, we start in the city of Sheffield with Ruth Beckett and Jimmy Kemp. Um, These two are a young couple, and they find out that Ruth is pregnant, and they're like, you know what, let's get married and move in together. And and I think, I think, again, this is not like the day after 
in that it just feels like a more holistic view of everybody. We get Jimmy's family with you know them kind of being like, how could you get a girl pregnant? How could you do this? And he's like, well, it's not my fault. And they're like, don't blame it on Ruth, you know? And so it just seems like a more well-rounded, like this just seems like a family. These are just a group of families. And I, I really like, there's just a real quick shot of Ruth when Jimmy's Jimmy and his parents come over to meet her family mm. and she's looking down from the window and she must have caught his eye because she just sort of gives this look like oh boy here we go <laughs> <laughs> and it's just real sweet and it seems real and this movie was most I think mostly or entirely unknown actors mm-hmm. so you know to give it that sort of more realistic feel and um yeah, so I had never seen her before, and I just really liked her immediately. Yeah, I think she's engaging as kind of a character that will follow throughout the whole movie. And, you know, both families are kind of well-rounded out. I believe Jimmy also has a younger brother and a younger sister. And they're also displaying just uh, – because it shows the mounting tensions of, you know, them also experiencing the events that would lead up to – you know, nuclear war, like, and and we get it in bits and like how the characters would get it. Like Ruth and Jimmy are in the car and we hear in the car radio that, you know, they say this is a time of escalating tensions in Iran, which has been invaded by the Soviet Union in response to a US backed coup. And then, you know, a character might turn it off because they've got to go on with their lives. And they're, aware of the news and maybe getting a little bit worried, but again, nobody, it's not like you can drop everything in your life, you know, and act as if it's coming. So people are kind of just like, and even there's a great scene where Jimmy is kind of having like a bachelor's night, like, you know, before he gets married with his bud and Jimmy wants to watch the news talking about, you know, the, the war and whatnot and what might happen. And his friend's like, no, you know, there's nothing we can do. So, and the thing is, I this movie has a huge sense of powerlessness too. And it is true. There's nothing you or I or anyone we know would be able to do anyway. And that's like the biggest, scariest part mm-hmm. is it could happen and I didn't even do anything to make it happen. Right. So basically just tensions begin to mount, questions begin to get asked of, is this going to happen? And I remember specifically just a lot of talk over, is this an act of war? You know, and it's, I think that stuff is very scary too, because I mean, even getting, like, I got a BBC alert the other day that the US sent really, really good high tech tanks to Ukraine. And like, those are the kind of things that they're reporting on is like, is this a step too far? You know, and that's again, why it feels so real, because there are times where you read a bit of news like that, and then you hear somebody say, like, well, this could provoke this. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. You're in the midst of a game, again, that you have no part in. So in the midst of all this, people are getting really worried. There's, um, like, a protest that happens um, that Ruth passes by. And, you know, we get um, you know a woman talking about how nobody wins this. They just need to de-escalate. And meanwhile, other people being like, you just want to let them drop it on us, you know, and just tension and high energy. 
but also the inability to stop your just normal everyday life. But then there becomes a point where it's clear that something bad is about to happen and Mm -hmm. people start to panic as they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's seen them do like, even like when we know a hurricane's about to strike the coast or something like that. Yeah. There's, there begins to um, become a lot of panic buying as there's this ultimatum that expires which results in a air attack on a Mashad base, followed by a limited nuclear exchange. People are not allowed to leave Sheffield to go to the countryside. Um, there's a, like a huge military pre- uh, presence, and we have one character who's assigned to this task force. Um, again, it gave me very Andromeda Strain vibes of this idea of there's a group of people that are are a contingency plan that never are going to be together unless for this moment and now the moment is happening. Yeah. So this guy leaves his, you know, his wife, um, this older guy, and and we follow him as he's talking with all these other people that are um, you know, preparing like what are they gonna do with survivors and food lines? Like where should they get the rations out to? You know, so they're starting, even the fact that they're there means something is going to happen, you know? We have people, you know, buying food in in a store and prices are escalating. And so people just start looting and leaving. Um, So then on the 25th of May, two nuclear explosions occur in the Middle East. And Sutton is the man uh, who heads a emergency committee. Um, Nobody's really trained and there are people who don't show up and people are just warned to stay at home. So then on the 26th of May, people uh, the public is given information on what happens if there should be nuclear fallout. You know, should you stay at home? All of these, you know, really concrete steps. So then we have the time where the warning sounds. The Kemp's improvise an indoor shelter. The Beckett's shelter in their cellar. Jimmy Kemp is working in a timber yard as the warning sounds, and just everybody panics. Then the UK is hit by a nuclear attack, and uh, it's 3,000 megatons that are exchanged, and the immediate casualties are estimated at 2.5 to 9 million, and 210 megatons fall on Britain. So Jimmy is our first casualty. He's last seen running through the streets looking for Ruth, but it's over for him. But right before before that, his friend says... Jesus, like they actually did it. Mm, Yeah, that's a great line. We just see destruction. There's fire, people getting burned to death. Again, like it's not, it is graphic, but they're limited, you know, in what they're able to do. There's like a really cute kitten that's just rolling around on the ground. (laughs) And it did make me I have something in the trivia about that. That cat was fine, by the way. Oh, okay, good. Because I did, I was like, <laughs> that cat doesn't look okay. <laughs> there is a weird moment, like where there's this thing that almost looks like ET that looks like it's melting. It's very bizarre. It's only for a brief second, and I almost thought it wasn't real. That was a bit weird. So now we see a uh, a week later, everybody is still sheltering in place. Ruth 
decides she claims, you know, I don't even care about, you know, this baby. It's probably got all these She's she's saying this. She probably has all these deformities because of all the radiation. Jimmy's dead, obviously. And um, Jimmy's parents, who are together in their makeshift indoor shelter, realize that their three children are all dead because they're not there. And Mrs. Kemp, like half of her face is burnt off. And there's just like a really – this scene really like hit me where she's like just laying on like her back – and he's trying to help her with her wounds, but every time he gets close, she's just like, ah, like, you know, like, don't touch me. And it just felt so, like, again, helpless of, like, what would you be able to do, you know? It's like a wound that you could never, ever help, and you just have to sit there. The committee um, that Sutton was in are trapped underneath a collapsed town hall, and they have to decide on things like, do we give food to people who are going to obviously die? Like, you know, they're talking about, oh, well, if the attack hit here and there's all this radiation here, they're dead, you know? Why even give food to them? But then they're all going to starve to death. You know, these are the conversations that they have to have. In the cellar, Ruth's grandma dies and Ruth decides to leave. She goes outside and um, we see her walking outside amongst all these people who are just scarred and sitting she passes a woman who is cradling like a baby's corpse. And it's just a very haunting scene. That's very effective. It's just still on this woman's face. And yeah. um, we don't really see what she's holding, but we know that it's dead. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's very important because Ruth herself is pregnant. Yeah. But I love actually the people underground. That's my favorite storyline. Me too. It is for me too. Like, that's what I meant when I said, like, there are people who are kind of dicks. I feel like the Brits are so good at that, of having characters that are kind of like, you're not, it's not like American things where it's not that, oh, if somebody's mean, they're evil. Just these people are fucking stressed out and they don't know what to do. And all of them have different things that they have to do. And like, they are poorly trained and they're away from their families and they're just yelling at each other, you know? Oh, and. There's a lot of great, like, just little haunting things, like, right before the bombs fall down, you hear this announcement that's talking about, if there's a family member who dies, you know, cover them up, remove them. It's just very official. It's like, it's like when people tell you to wash your hands to avoid getting COVID, it's said with that same... And that's that and so horrible. Weird animation where these dots like go around the dead body. Like you're supposed to like cover the the corpse in plastic and and then yeah remove it to your backyard or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, it's just this public service announcement. Like who made that animation? Like, I, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's very. Uh, oh my god! Now we're here. We're talking about how to dispose of our dead bodies. Like that is. It's like getting told like oh somebody either you or somebody you know will die for sure that is going to happen you'll see it (laughs) and this is what you gotta do um and it does happen like and you know ruth with her grandma dying and then in the um with within the underground committee immediately one guy has like a piece of ceiling fall on him he's dead um and they're just like guys get a bag you know it's just it's very, there's like a cognitive dissonance. And I think that is what's so scary about this movie. 
But I like the breakdown. We see it in a number of cases. But here, there's one point where, you know, they've all run out of cigarettes. And, um, like, they spend a month down there, I think. And somebody's like, uh, Barbara, you know, make some tea. And she goes, I'm not your damn wife. (laughs) Whereas a month ago, you know, she was like the tea girl. But now she's like, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And I just love it's. It's that's all you need. That's one line that tells you things have changed forever. Yeah. So next we have the nuclear fallout. We have darkness and freezing temperatures that are caused by the 100 tons of dust in the atmosphere that completely shut out the sun. So Ruth is on the search for Jimmy and the Kemp's and finds that Jimmy's mother is dead. And Jimmy, I forgot to mention Another little detail about him is that he takes care of birds. He loves, I think he takes care of pigeons or doves. And, you know, he even mentions when they're looking for a house, like, you know, maybe I can have, you know, a little place for that, you know, on the roof or something. And so when she visits the Kemp's house, she finds Jimmy's books on birds or finds a book on birds and puts it in her bag. And So now we have, since food has to be rationed, soldiers guarding food stores and firing gases at crowds that are getting unruly. And we see the overrun hospitals that are completely ill-equipped to handle it. This scene is so harrowing. It reminds me of like scenes of the medical tent in like like an army or war movie where it's just all these people just moaning and crying with these again, horrific wounds that just, they can't do anything. They don't have running water or anything that it, and again, I think that's just so scary about an apocalypse of like a week ago or, you know, a year ago, we could have done this no problem, you know, and now it's unfathomable. Right. So now 22 days after the attack, Looters have, we see that looters have murdered Ruth's parents. They enter their house and then they leave. And it's, you know, they're just unceremoniously like stepping over, you know, her her grandma's covered corpse and whatnot. Survivors uh, all have to be recruited. You know, it's not enough that you lived and survived through this. Now it's like, what are you going to do but work and rebuild Britain? Um <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Mr. Kemp is the only surviving member of his family, and we follow him for a little bit as he's working, and he just looks sick and, and horrible and horribly depressed. He finds his youngest son at the beginning of the movie plays this little, you know, handheld video game. He finds it somehow. <laughs> I thought this was a little bit cheesy, but he finds it, plays it, and starts crying. Um, we we see that 10 million corpses remain unburied with little fuel or viable burial ground. So what do you do then? Now, four weeks after the attack, armed traffic wardens guard looters in detention camps and criminals face firing squads. Breaking, uh, some soldiers break through underground and find the entire committee is dead. I I actually really loved that. That like really me too. Me. I mean, like, what else did you think was going to happen? But I still, when they found we we had known them, you know, the audience we had known them, um, and and now they're just dead dead bodies, you know. So it's just that who the soldiers have no, they're just like, oh, yep, five in here, right? Exactly. So like. 
disconnected. And I sh- I forgot to mention um, Mr. Kemp dies and the way that we see that too is because they they show us some some photos the the photography is amazing in this movie and you know so so throughout when we get these little you know details about the you know this is how much how many days have passed and whatnot they'll show a little photo and just Mr. Kemp we find him he's dead and that's the way it's revealed it's mm-hmm. just like you said it's characters that we know but it shows you that there's all these masses and when this many people die, it just it is everybody. In subsequent weeks, Ruth and other refugees leave Sheffield to search for food. They go to the countryside. She, the soldiers are trying to put people in houses that have extra rooms. <laughs> and so she's, <laughs> she's grouped with a bunch of people who go to this man's house. They're like, sir, you have four extra bedrooms. These people now live with you. And he's like, the fuck they do? <laughs> He's like, you guys can't do this. <laughs> and they're like, sir. And they're just like, get get in there. They just sh- shove all the people in there. And then he throws them all out. You know, he throws, you know, Ruth's stuff out and she grabs it, including Jimmy's book still, and puts it back in her bag. Ruth then again is, you know, just looking for scraps and finds Jimmy's friend from earlier. And they kind of form a little band. They find and eat a sheep in the countryside, um, anything. And we see that deaths from the fallout have reached their peak now. So now in September, six months after the attack, there have been between 17 and 38 million deaths. Now the survivors are being made to focus on agriculture, but the conditions completely prevent a harvest. And Ruth works the land as people just drop dead around her. And eventually, just finds a barn and gives birth. And this scene is so scary too, because like there's like a dog chained up outside. And that's just the idea of a scary dog being next to a newly born baby just fills me with like so much fear. Um, luckily nothing happens. Uh, <laughs> she delivers her own baby and she mm-hmm. bites through the umbilical cord with her teeth. Yeah. It's the poor Ruth, man. <laughs> like Jeez. the only survivor at this point. Yeah. So now when the sunlight finally breaks through, there's a higher cancer risk because there's greater UV rays. So now we see 10 years after the attack, Britain's population between 4 and 11 million lives at medieval levels. Ruth is, we see her working with, we can see as her daughter in the field and she drops. She is now in then we see her in like i guess is their little home and she's way prematurely aged she's like got cataracts in her eyes white hair um, missing teeth and she dies and i didn't even notice this 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 (laughs) the summary that i used just said something really rude they said they just they use the R word, which you shouldn't do. Like in reference to the daughter, just that she has like stunted. Yeah, I, I thought that was more. I don't. I didn't get that honestly. I thought it was because like, how would Ruth be able to give her a full education? Like that's what I thought. Yeah, because she just is like, and when Ruth dies, she just is like Ruth, Ruth, work, work up. I thought that was just because she 
Those would be the only words she'd be taught. And I kind of thought that too. Like she's not emotional at all. And she calls her mother by her first name. And language we also know from other scenes has broken down. Like the children in this, in Jane's generation speak a, a, a very different version of English. And it's much more rudimentary than, than what we had before. So, yeah, I don't think that's, that's right. There's a, I love this scene where we see Ruth's daughter in this building with all these other kids um, who similarly just look like dead in the face, just completely like the saddest looking bunch of kids ever. There's all these, they're watching a children's program about animals and their skeletons. And you got to think, have they ever even seen these animals now? Mm-hmm. Like it talks about like a cat, like what's that? It's this skeleton. And it's like, they don't, they've never seen a cat. That's so weird. I love these things because they don't tell you that, but it dawns on you and it's scary. And we see that there's a a, a woman, in, an old woman in the back who must work there or something. And we can just see her mouthing all the words to it. Like she must have watched this tape like a million times. Again, little details like that, that they don't, they don't tell you, but inform the whole world. Right. So... Ruth's daughter eventually gets assaulted by uh, two guys and now is in early pregnancy. She also, oh, I should have mentioned when Ruth dies, she takes Ruth's stuff, but puts Jimmy's bird book under Ruth's pillow. Mm. She still had it all that time. So, so yeah, sorry, 13 years after the attack, she's assaulted by two boys after they steal bread and uh, at a barren hospital, she she approaches and she's like, baby, baby. And, you know, they're telling her, no, 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 no. Like, you know, we and she just is like, baby. And she sits down, gives birth. And when they give it back to her, it's silent. It's just a dead, awful looking baby. And she just, the last frame is just her like screaming and like, you know, throwing it away from her. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And I, so I had seen this at the time and the only two things I remembered was Ruth's grandmother shitting herself and Ruth, you know, and apologizing and yeah, that scene and Ruth being like so disgusted by it. And then the final frame of the film, that's all I had remembered. Um, But that was so effective at just communicating, you know, the hopelessness of, yeah. of this outcome. Yeah. There's, there are no winners. It like, honestly, if this happens, you're probably better off dying at the immediate blast after watching this. That's how that, that's what I would want. <laughs> there's well, like no point. I remember uh, I, I, and again, you know, I, I don't remember how old I was, but maybe it was around, this time, but I remember my stepmother saying, we lived in Madison, Wisconsin. And I remember her saying, if this happens, um, she's getting in the car and driving to Chicago with whoever wants to come with her because she wants to drive into the blast and not, <laughs> you know, not survive. I it. agree. <laughs> yeah, this, I mean, I'm like, if it's like the, this, can you imagine hearing that as a kid though? I mean, that oh, was just God. like, what the fuck? There's like, no, like, Hey, if this happens, there's not even a chance of you living because I, I, like your parental figure saying, I'd rather be dead. 
I didn't, I mean, however old I was, I didn't know how to make sense of that. Like, yeah, you know, it's just so, yeah. I think that's also what's extra devastating about this, this fear is like, I mean, I guess getting like any sort of leveling, I guess, or just the destruction it does and how like society would break down i think that's just yeah the the idea of it's not just dying that that would be scary it's it's the living and what what exists after that's so existentially terrifying well yeah and i mean of course we know we can imagine you know in the beginning where people are like rationing food and shooting looters and you know trying to form some kind of you know a governing body that keeps things in order. We can imagine all of that, you know, Mm -hmm. and the violence and the, you know, corruption of the system. That totally makes sense. But I mean, I'm not a scientist. I hadn't thought like what would, what it would look like a couple generations down the road. What would the earth be like? And, you know, what would happen to language? And, and, you know, (laughs) so I think, I mean, it's, it's great. This is a great film. Um, it's really scary. It'll like scare you to your bones. Yeah. And again, make you sick. Like, <laughs> I know I'm saying all this and I'm like, watch it. But <laughs> I. It's a horror podcast. I mean, some of this stuff is, you know, does have the capacity to make you physically sick. <laughs> I forgot to mention earlier, too, they're, they're right after the blast. Like, there is a part where they're just sick from the radiation yeah. poisoning and that made me feel sick too cuz I, I it just you're it, it's just the hopelessness of it all I mean and you're they tried to do this and, in the yeah. in the in the day after with with the horrible makeup you know just trying to mm. show that you know our bodies would fall apart it's mm-hmm. it's just that it's done really you know in a hack way yeah in the day after like we've been saying just I think why I find this one more effective is it just felt like a true de- the <laughs> the thing in itself is so scary that all you need to do is just show it happening. That's it. And I think that Threads does that better, whereas the day after and a lot of American media in general has to assign some sort of like story or characterization or like moral stuff to it and i like that threads just you can't watch that movie and then have the outcome of nuclear war would be a good idea you would never you could never think that if you did (laughs) it'd be something upsettingly wrong with you so you don't need to put that as like a message again it's so fucked up you just have to show it and then that's the message should we do como sedici don't look now in italiano yes okay so the original title, of course, is Threads in Brazil. It's Catastrophe Nucléaire in French. <laughs> in Canada, the French title was Le, Le Soleil Noir, or The Black Sun. Ooh. In Finland, it was When the World Ends. In Hungary, it was Yarns. <laughs> <laughs> in Italy, it was Ipotesi Sopra Vivenza survival hypothesis. What? 
it's Italy, what the fuck? <laughs> and in Norway, it was doomsday. Domadag. <laughs> Domadag. <laughs> in the aftermath of the nuclear blast, footage of a cat supposedly, quote, suffocating outside in the extreme heat is shown. This is actually footage of a cat enjoying a hefty dose of catnip. Then Aww. they just reverse the film to give the impression of the cat suffocating. But the cat I did think fine. it. I see, and it must have been that it was reversed. I didn't notice that, but I just thought the way it was moving was so like yeah, like unsettling. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while shooting in while shooting the movie, the BBC got in trouble with the local police when they detonated a large smoke bomb in order to simulate oh, no. a nuclear explosion. Members of the public who were not aware that a movie was being <laughs> shot panicked and thought that a real explosion had occurred. Oh no, those poor people. In the film of Salvation Army Brass Band is seen marching down a street during a demonstration. This was not scripted. The band was returning from an open air service and had unexpectedly marched in on the filming. The director loved the unexpected interruption and kept the cameras rolling. Shortly after the film's broadcast on the BBC, Ronald Reagan made a speech that was less aggressive than expected. A cartoon on the front of the London Times depicted one person reading a headline, Reagan makes peace speech, and another asking, <laughs> do you think that he saw threads? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Mick Jackson later recalled that while BBC productions would usually would usually be followed by phone calls of congratulations from friends or colleagues immediately after airing, no such calls came after the first screening of Threads. Jackson later, quote, realized that people had just sat there thinking about it, in many cases not sleeping or being able to talk, unquote. He yep, later said probably. that he had it on good authority that Ronald Reagan watched the film when it aired in the U.S. Screenwriter Barry Hines himself received a letter of praise from labor leader Neil Kinnock. Wow. This was shot in 17 days. What? I know. That's amazing. I was, That's incredible. I was amazed too. That's... There's so many people in this movie. <laughs> How did they do that? The makeup for extras playing third degree burn victims consisted of Rice Krispies and tomato ketchup. <laughs> Ew. Threads was the most watched program on BBC Two that week with 6.9 million viewers. Wow. The film takes place in 1988, 1998, 2001, and 2003. As part of their research, Mick Jackson and Barry Hines spent a week at the Home Office Training Center for, quote, official survivors in Easingwood, which, according to Hines, showed just how disorganized post-war reconstruction would be. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean... I think the same would be true for America. Oh, for yeah. People are people. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The umbilical cord for Ruth's baby that she has to sever with her teeth was made out of licorice. Now, this last one, I don't know if this is true. Woho's get in touch. Ruth survived the radiation due to being pregnant. Radiation attacks the unborn baby cells before affecting the mother. It explains why her daughter was deformed and technically should have died within weeks of birth due to radiation poisoning. And the source of that is radiation and its effect on living cells from 1998. But I want to know more. Yeah, that's... Jane isn't shown as deformed, maybe a little, maybe a little slow, but I think that's 
it's not explicitly shown. Yeah, I feel like I never would have gotten that reading of like that's why she talks the way she does. Right. I I totally don't think that's what it is or it shouldn't be. I mean, yeah, and if that's what they were going for, it wasn't it wasn't clear. What does Letterbox have to say about it? Scarlett Eller gave it five stars and said, I've never before had a horror or apocalypse film so thoroughly put me into the shows of its characters. Shoes. Shoes. (laughs) Put me into the shoes of its characters. One of the most impactful impactful films I've ever seen. Awful watch on a Wednesday evening. (laughs) Con AFC gave it five stars and said, the most chilling anti-war film and quite possibly the scariest film I've ever seen. The level of research that's gone into this to make it as realistic as possible is astounding. Horror films don't usually get to me. The Reds meant I didn't sleep that night. Masterpiece. 10 out of 10. (laughs) I feel like I wrote this review. Christopher Eifler gave it five stars and said, Tubi is so mother for having this. Agreed. Hellnaw gave it five stars and said, How was this aired as a TV movie? Yeah. (laughs) Norm Coleman gave it five stars and said, quintessentially British in its atmosphere and sobering presentation. But the film's depiction of societal despondency in the aftermath of nuclear war touches on a universal feeling of terror all men must feel when face-to-face with the knowledge of their own vulnerability and hubris. I do think this movie is quintessentially British. And I say that with affection. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Cookie Cat gave it a half star and said, Did I watch the same movie as everyone else? That was boring and dull. Not sure why so many high rating reviews. Interesting. I disagree. We underscore Wake gave it a half star and said, BBC propaganda against the USSR. What is worse than a propaganda movie? A low budget propaganda movie. Mm. Disagree. I don't know, looking at the news, you know, a few <laughs> decades later, I'm kind of like, well, who am I thinking of when I think of if it's going to happen, who it's going to be against? <laughs> Anybody else? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Meg gave it a half star and said, I couldn't understand half the shit they were saying. <laughs> which is, which is fair. But I think you'll find, Meg, that if your TV is anything like mine, there's this option if you hit the asterisk <laughs> key on your remote <laughs> to put closed captioning on. Listen, I sometimes need closed captioning when listening to the British or the Scottish, you know. Especially it, the Scottish. Some, sometimes, sometimes. and <laughs> Don't let me get started on the Irish. <laughs> How about the Welsh? Oh, oh, sorry guys, but I need the subtitles. Um, after watching a lot of Lemmy show, I like you can kind of tap into some like really heavy, thick Scottish accents. It is a whole different set of like. Mm-hmm. It's just it's different. It's no, different. I mean even if even if people are speaking, I mean I have subtitles on all the time. Oh, same. Um, but I mean, even Australian or New Zealanders, I mean, they're speaking English, but you know, I, I and also there's just slang and, and you know, some American accents. 
yeah, there are some American accents that are hard to decipher. So, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't understand in this day and age with all this technology, why you wouldn't <laughs> avail yourself of it. Yeah. And yeah. But if that, if that's just a joke about their accents, it did make me laugh. Oh, then that was kind of funny. That's why, <laughs> that's why I put it last. <laughs> um, let's rate this in licorice umbilical cords. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'd give it five. First of all, I think umbilical cords are kind of gross anyway. Like, Oh, they're disgusting. Like, in, in, uh, I hate it I, I whenever they're you, depicted. <laughs> no, I don't know if you know this, Mac, but like when, it, well, I don't know if they do this anymore, but you know, like when your brother was born, um, they just sort of, you know, they cut it and then they tie it. And then it just sort of like, but there's like a length, like maybe an inch that like falls off eventually. And it just stays on you. Yeah. They then. like clip it kind of. And, and oh, oh my gosh. Says so it. Like, okay. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's cool and everything. Way umbilical cords no, work, but I mean they're, they're gross as fuck. Okay, it's like, but I, I, I gave it, I gave it four on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would go, Not, I would go four, I would go higher, I would go four point two five. My patented. Oh, okay, four point two five. Yeah. <laughs> what have we learned? Oh Jesus! Well, you don't need a lot of money to tell a good story. Hmm. Um, don't, uh, engage in nuclear war. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> oh, Putin. there's that. Yeah. Putin, Biden, if you're listening, <laughs> can I, just, don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Putin it listening to this, well. like he was, his finger was on the button and <laughs> he was like, like ah. oh, wait, good, Mac doesn't want me to Mac do it. Mac makes a very good point. <laughs> hey, don't. <laughs> hey, don't. How about Maybe not? Don't. <laughs> Putin, please. That's the name of the episode for sure. <laughs> Putin, please. <laughs> Would we watch it again? Yes. Yeah, and I saw some reviews, and I mean, everyone's you know entitled to whatever, but some people were like, "This is a masterpiece. I'm never watching it again." And I I can respect that, but I I think it's I mean I think it's a solid film, you know, and and it's devastating, but I'd watch it again. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> Do you have a favorite in this context scene slash kill? <laughs> Takes on a different meaning when you're talking about like an annihilation of uh, oh, millions of people. Um, I got to say, when she's walking through the city and she's just sort of witnessing all the destruction, it's... Mm-hmm. A, it's a it's on the edge of being cheesy but then when it lands on the woman with the the corpse of the baby in her arms there's mm-hmm. something about that woman's face that is so haunting mm-hmm. and and I, I thought that was really powerful i also liked how the kids are just gathered around that vcr watching that old tv program yeah they just have nothing They just seem so hopeless, too. It's just all of it is so sad. How about you? Um, So much of it is so, like, powerful to me. I guess, like, when they depict when the bomb drops and right after, that those parts were just really, like, 
I, I guess the Kemp's, those two, there was something about Mr. and Mrs. Kemp where their scenes were particularly scary to me, especially when Mr. Kemp dies too. I just, again, the way that they show it and just the idea that he's just another body among a bunch is just that idea is so scary that it could be like you or somebody that you love in the grand scheme of like if a million people died would just be another body on the pile is just the scariest idea. And and just going back to Testament for a moment. And I mean, okay, I'm spoiling, you know, a movie from 1984, but there's just, there's just no lead up to this one section where all of a sudden you see her sitting, sitting at the bedside where her body, where her last child's body has been wrapped in a sheet. And mm. it's sort of like, you knew it was coming, but all just that stark visual um, to me, I don't think I'm going to forget that for a while. I thought that was like super powerful. Mm-hmm. Should we shut it down, Mac? Shut it down. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode and for all your support. It means the world of horror to us truly. Next time, we are going to go a little off program and we will be covering two movies from an actor who means the world of horror to us. Song Gang-O. We will be reviewing The Host from 2006 and Parasite from 2019. We would, welcome, we would welcome your support in the form of a five-star review or thumbs up on your preferred listening platform. Hey, Mac, what do you have going on? Well, you can follow me on my art Instagram at Macaritaville and also on Tumblr at Macaritaville. Awesome. And, you know, coming soon, this spring, uh, Mac and I will be incorporating into Mom and Mac Industries which will be our umbrella corporation involving the podcast as well as our artistic, separate artistic pursuit. So please stay tuned for that. And remember, Wohos, we love you and don't go into the basement.